Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. If you would turn with me this morning over to the book of 1 Peter, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning taking a look at 1 Peter um, chapter 4, and, and we'll get there in just a minute. But I want to start this morning by asking, do you know who, who this, oh, this iPad, there we go. Anybody know who this guy is? <laughs> Our family visited Memphis this, this past uh, summer, and I grew up um, an hour and a half-ish or so from Memphis. And uh, it was this place when Elvis, where we grew up, is, is where Elvis kind of really got a start. And he was playing in these little bitty venues that you know, would only hold 20, 30, 40, 50 people. And so everybody talks about Elvis, uh, where we grew up. And uh, I went to Memphis with my family. And when you go to Memphis, there's one thing you have to do, right? You have to go to Graceland. Not with my family. Uh, they didn't want to go to Graceland. And I'd been to Graceland before, and you know, you, then gone through the museum, and you see the motorcycles and the Cadillacs, and you get to see the mansion, you get to see all of this stuff. And so I was telling them all about this stuff, about Elvis, and I'm like, don't you want to go? No, not one of them wanted to go. And so I'm thinking, I'm the dad, right? I can pull the dad card, and I can say, we're going to go to Graceland. The only, uh, the closest that we got to Graceland was driving by and doing a U-turn on the way out of town. That's as close as we got to Graceland. The one thing I do celebrate, though, is at Christmas time, when I sing Blue Christmas, both of my daughters, woo-hoo-hoo, in the background of when I'm singing Blue Christmas. That's about as much as my family loves Elvis, though. But if you have any age at all, you know who Elvis is. Uh, even younger generations know some of the songs that Elvis did. The king, right? The king of rock and roll. And we could hear story after story of how successful Elvis is or the number one songs that he had or how he swept the nation, good or bad. We don't want to to dive into the good or bad of that. But there's no denying the success, even as it's continued for the decades after his death, of Elvis. Several years ago, though, his wife Priscilla uh, was being interviewed for Reader's Digest. And in the interview with Reader's Digest, this is what she said about Elvis. In spite of his enormous success, Elvis was basically, and listen to this, Elvis was basically an unfulfilled, miserable man. The height and the pinnacle of success in the 50s, 60s, and the early 70s. If there was anybody that we in America would have looked up to and said, boy, he is successful. He really has things together in his life. It would have been Elvis. But yet his wife said that he was an unfulfilled, miserable man. This is what she went on to say. Elvis's fruitless search for a source of significance led to his death from obesity and drug dependence at the age of 42. She said, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. 
Did you catch that? Elvis. Elvis never came to terms with his purpose of life or who he was meant to be. And it led, she says, to the abuses of trying to find significance in his life. With all of the sincerity that I have in me, with all of the the gentleness that I have in me, I think if we were to look around the church, and and I'm not just going to say Whitechapel Church, I'm going to say the church in America as a whole. If we were to look around the church, I think that we have got a church in 2021 that has not found the purpose for which God intended us. Much like Elvis didn't find his purpose in life. Take, take, take a look at where we are. We have a church that's being led by the culture instead of a culture that is being influenced by the church. We have a church that is running from where God is calling us to go. We have a church that is cowering under the power of the enemy. And I believe that God is saying, White Chapel, I want you to be the church that I created you to be. So we're diving into this series that this is our third week that we've been in now called Spiritual DNA. Because I believe that we have to truly understand who God created us to be so that we will be able to understand the significance of what God wants to do not only in us, but then through us as a congregation of believers. God has given us our purpose We say that our purpose at Whitechapel Church is two simple things. Discovering Jesus, and the next part of that is sharing his love. If we were to take a look at the history of Whitechapel Church, now, I've only been here for three weeks, so I can't go into the deepest nooks and crannies of all of our history. But I could venture to say, just from the bit that I know about Whitechapel Church and from the things that I have heard about Whitechapel Church, we have done a great job of discovering Jesus. We've done very well with discovering Jesus. But I, this morning, want to push you to the next step of that so that we can step out of our comfort zones and step into the power and authority that God has ordained for us as a church to move past the discovery phase in our walk with Him and get to the sharing Jesus phase in all of our lives. We, Whitechapel Church, have to get to a place till we understand our calling as a congregation of believers. We move past where we want to just soak everything in and get to the place to where the Holy Spirit overflows out of us into our community and those that are around us. We'll get to 1 Peter 4.10 in just a minute. But here in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says to us, for we are God's handiwork. Listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now that gets us excited. We are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. When you wake up in the morning, disoriented as you are, and you look in the mirror, what you are looking at is God's handiwork. 
Paul doesn't end it there, but he goes on to say that you were created as God's handiwork to do good works, but listen to the last part of this verse, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is reminding us that God not only created you individually, but God preordained works for you to do in your life. Now listen to me. God did not save you. God did not extend this relationship to you of grace so that you could stay in the discovery phase. Because what we have done in the church, in, 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 in not um, entering into the calling or standing in the calling that he has for us, is we have created a generation of consumers in church. Where we say to people, come to us and we are going to spoon feed you. Come to us and we are going to give you everything that you need. Come to us and we're going to help you discover Jesus. But what Paul is saying is, that is the first step of your relationship with Jesus. And you have to get to this last portion of Ephesians 2.10, where you take on and accept and fulfill the God-prepared works for you in advance, and that is sharing His love. Listen to me. Listen to me, brothers and sisters in Christ. God has prepared something for you to do. God preordained in your life works in advance for you to do. And some of you may think, well, I'm X number of years old. Some of you may think that I'm at this point in my life to where I'm done working. I, I'm finished. I, I don't have to work anymore. I've done what God wanted me to do. And you hear people at the end of their life, I don't know why God, why I'm just hanging on in life. It's because God prepared works in advance for you to do. God wants you to discover those works so that you are not just a consumer in church, but you are a contributor to His kingdom. God prepared works for you in advance. And He intends for you to make an eternal difference in other people's lives by sharing his love. This may be your first time with us this morning. This may be your first few times with us. You may be new to Whitechapel Church. But whether you're new or whether you've been here for 70 years or more, God's got a work for you. Amen. God has a work for you. And my prayer for you today, as we take a look at 1 Peter 4.10 this morning, is that you will discover the God-given calling that he had in mind for you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. 1 Peter 4.10. Just one verse that I want to share with you here. I'll place other verses up on, the, up on the board for you to take a look at this morning. Peter, it's interesting in taking a look at his spiritual development. And we'll see some of that here this morning. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Each one, that's you. Each one is you. So you can take out those two words and you can put your name in there. So for me, I would read, Michael should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace 
in its various forms. Now, if we were to go back and take a look at what is it that Peter is talking about here? You remember Peter, who Jesus said, upon this rock I build my church. Do you remember Peter, who whenever they came to arrest Jesus, the bold, brash, gruff Peter drew out the sword and took off the ear of the soldier coming to arrest Jesus because they knew what was going to happen to Jesus. You remember Peter who rebuked Jesus when he was sharing about his upcoming suffering and death. Do you remember this, this brash, um, do you remember this very gruff Peter? And you remember how bold Peter was if we go back and we look at all of the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of Mark. Here is kind of a wild and rough Peter but what we're seeing when Peter is now written, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and we're seeing happen in his writings here, is a total different Peter. Because Peter has understood the work that God preordained for him. So in the Gospels, the Peter that we see is a wild and kind of a loose cannon of a Peter. But now we get to 1 Peter, and we get to 2 Peter, and we're seeing Peter's writings, and Peter actually uses words like humble. He uses words like submit. He uses words to say, in essence, it's okay for us to suffer in the manner in which Christ suffered. Peter, who rebuked Jesus when he was talking about his suffering and upcoming death. The difference in these two Peters is we have a Peter who first had entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ who had not grasped his God-given calling, his God-given preordained works for his life. And here, what we have is a Peter who understands where God is leading him and the task that God has ordained for Peter. And so when Peter is writing 1 Peter here, you get to verse 7 and Peter says, listen, the end of days is coming very, very soon. We are in the end of times. And then you get to 1 Peter 4.10 and Peter says, listen, followers of Jesus Christ. This is what you should be doing. Discovering the God-given gift that you have so that you can then use it to serve other people. Now, I want to make a distinction here. Because you have to understand what Peter wrote. Peter did not say in this verse, God has given you a gift so that you can use it for your edification. Peter did not say, God gave you a gift for your sake. What did Peter say? Each one should use whatever gift he has received the next three words, to serve others. When we hang out at discovering Jesus, we are not fulfilling the command that Peter has given to the church by using our God-given gifts to serve other people. God has a work for you to do. The heart, the root of that work is right here in Peter, 
When we move from that gruff, abrasive person when we first come to Christ into spiritual maturity till we get to the place to where we are okay being humble, we are okay submitting, and we grasp the calling that God has placed on every single one of us in Jesus Christ. Rick Warren said this, What matters is not how long you live, but how you live. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. The Bible says we're created to serve. We're saved to serve. We're gifted to serve. We're shaped to serve. We are commanded to serve. Do you see the correlation of the great pastor Rick Warren's words with Peter's words here in 1 Peter chapter 4? We are created to discover who God made us to be and those works that He has preordained or prepared in advance for each one of us. Listen, listen to me, brothers and sisters. God wants to work in your life so He can work through your life. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we get and we understand, God, I want you to work in my life. But we mess up by leaving our relationship there. He not only wants to work in you, but He intends to work through you. How do I know that? Listen to your prayers. Listen to your prayers. God, I need you to work in my life. God, I need you to do this in my life. God, this is, this is, you've got to do this. And so, God, I'm dependent on you and I'm reliant on you for this. And we pray over and over and over, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, this, 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 and this. And we forget to say, God, use me. Today is a day for you to say the prayer, God, use me. And move me past discovering Jesus and get me to the place of sharing his love. Your purpose in life, Rick Warren has reminded us, is not just the relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts there and it continues for all of eternity. But it has to move past that of God do this to getting us to a place of God use me. Remember, God prepared you for this. The writings from Peter, the writings from Paul tell us God prepared not only you, but he prepared the works for you. And so it really does fit together like a glove. So it goes hand in hand together. So the work that he has for you is the, is the work that he has for you and you fit together like a glove. And listen, if you don't step into that role then you are going to end up the way that Priscilla Presley described Elvis Presley, a miserable, unfulfilled human being. That's as simple as I can make it. And there's not a lot of hope in that. But our hope comes in Jesus Christ. Our hope comes in discovering who he called us to be. Our hope comes then from moving past that discovery phase to getting to the place to where we're sharing his love in the works that he has prepared for every single one of us. In Job chapter 10, verse 8, this is what the scripture says. Your hands shaped me 
and made me. Job, who had lost it all. Job, who had no hope here on the earth, is making the proclamation that would eventually sustain him in life. Your hands, he prayed, your hands shaped me and your hands made me. Peter says, they shaped you, they made you, so you can grasp the gift that he's given to you for the works that he has prepared for you. The next scripture here is Matthew 20, 28. These are Jesus' words. Jesus is saying to us, your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, if there was anybody, if there was anybody that could have demanded to be served, definitely it could have been the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He could have commanded, he could have commanded at the Last Supper the disciples to say, now gather around me, you all are going to spend time washing my feet. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I want you to have the same attitude that I have. Jesus said that. I want you to be a servant. Hmm. Interesting. Kind of sounds like Rick Warren's words, right? Kind of sounds like Peter's words, right? This is the mindset that we should have to move out of the discovery phase and get into the sharing his love phase. But I want to say this to you. The discovery phase, the real trick here, is the discovery phase of Jesus is never ending. But we buy into the lie of the enemy that we are in one phase or the other phase. And you might say, how can I be in the sharing his love phase when I don't fully understand his love? You don't have to fully do anything. All you have to do is be fully faithful with the attitude of Jesus Christ and be willing to be used by Almighty God. It's not one phase or the other phase because we are always in the discovering Jesus phase. And until we stand with all knowledge in eternity before His throne, we'll never move out of the discovery phase. We will always, every day, as mercies are new, morning by morning by morning, we will always be discovering more and more about Jesus Christ. That's why we can read a passage of Scripture, and one day it speaks to us about one thing, and months later it speaks to us about something else, and years later it speaks a whole other message to us. Because we're always discovering Jesus. But we can't buy into the lie of the enemy that we have to do all of our discovery first and have some type of discovery diploma before we move to the sharing his love phase. Listen, if Jesus has done any work in your life, then you have to move from the discovery part of that and get to the place to where you are sharing his love. God has given you a gift. That's what Peter says. God's, that's what Paul said. God's given you a gift. You've got to find that and then get to the place to where you are being obedient and sharing his love. That's part of what we desire to do here at Whitechapel Church. We move you to the place to where you have discovered that gift and then are willing, faithful, and obedient in having the mindset of Jesus Christ. What happened in the early church, I think, is a really a great example for us. Where Peter was living where Peter was writing, what happened in the early church is that they came together not just so their own needs would be met, spiritually and physically, 
But they came together so they, they could figure out how to meet the needs of those that are around them. Interesting, isn't that? It wasn't just about them. It wasn't, let's just gather together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ so that we can just fill our own cups up. But it was, let's get filled up, let's discover Jesus, so then we can get to sharing his love. They, in the early church, gave us a model of how we can meet the needs of our community right here around us. You know, here's, here's really the bottom line. If I were to sum up today's message and in, in, in what our calling is as a church in just a few words, it's this. It's not about you. It's about him. And that's why we discover Jesus. It's not discover Whitechapel Church. It's not discover what are our doctrines, what, are, what is our deep theology. Those things are well and good, and those things are necessary for us. But if you don't discover Jesus, all you've got are just some words on a piece of paper. And God is calling us, calling us deeper in the discovery part so that we can move to the part of sharing His love. Some of the confusions that we have in the church is, is ministry. Who is it that does ministry? And sometimes in the church in America, we have bought into the lie of the enemy that ministry is all about the people that we can hire to do ministry for us so that we can come and just be consumers in the church. But that's not what was happening in the early church. The church that Paul was writing to in Ephesians 2.10, telling them that God had prepared some things in advance for them, weren't just consumers. They didn't just come and say, okay, we're hiring this person to do and coordinate ministry for us so that we can sit back and really enjoy and, and, and discover who God is, is, what God is doing. The church that Peter was writing to that we read this morning about in, in 1 Peter 4.10 was not just a church who gathered together and they said, okay, let's get these people to do ministry for us. But instead, the early church was a church that came together and said, we are here to do ministry. In other words, share his love. They didn't just hire people or a staff and say, this is what our ministry does. They stepped into their authority. They stepped into the kingdom and said, God, use us with the mindset of Jesus not to come to be served, but so that we can serve. So I ask you this morning, how good are you at the serving part? How good have you been at the sharing his love part of what we believe God has called us together to do as Whitechapel Church? If you were to do an assessment over this last year of your life, and you were to say, how good was I at serving? God, give me a report card on how good I've been at sharing his love or how good that I have been in serving other people in the gift that God has given to me. What would your report card be? What would your report card look like? Now you might say, well, this has just been a crazy year, right? We were locked in our house for a couple of months and we were still not getting out a whole lot and things are just looking totally different. Did Peter write in the craziness of the world that they were living in at that time? where they risked their lives by announcing their faith in Jesus Christ. God has got a gift for you, and God has got a job for you, but don't fulfill that 
whenever it risks your life where there's a global pandemic. That's not what Peter wrote about. It's no coincidence that God has planted you right here on January 17th of 2021. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that you live where you live. It is no coincidence that you work where you work. It's no coincidence that you have the family and friends that you have. The reason all of those things are in your life is because God has given you a gift. And God intends for you to use that gift to share His love with those that you encounter every single day. We don't hire people for that. We don't go out and bring in a ministry staff and we say, this is what we want you to do. I want you to come share His love with my neighbor. God has given you that responsibility. God has given you that calling. God has placed those people in your life so that you can move from discovering Jesus into the sharing His love piece so you can come back and discover more of Jesus and then you can go share His love and you're constantly discovering and you're constantly sharing and you're constantly operating in the gift that He has placed on your life. You see, Jesus had an attitude of willingness his entire life. Your attitude, he said, has to be just like my own. The psalmist in the 100th Psalm, verse 2, says, serve the Lord with gladness. Share his love with gladness. Move into that. Paul, writing Romans 12:1, says, because of God's great mercy, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice dedicated to his service. Jesus said it. The psalmist said it. The apostle Paul said it. The great Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones said it. He said, grace binds you with far stronger cords than the cords of duty or obligation can bind you. Listen, he said, grace is free, but when you take it, you are bound forever to the giver and will catch the spirit of the giver. Like produces like. Grace makes you gracious. The giver makes you give. How do we become like Jesus? We just enter into a relationship with Him and discover more and more of Him every day. But we don't just get to stay there. We have, we've been called and assigned and given the God-given God -given task and responsibility to move to also sharing His love. God has placed us here at Whitechapel Church so that we would be able to have the mindset of Jesus and give of ourselves willingly to what He has called us to be. So one of the things that, that I've actually done this, this past week is, the past couple of weeks is, I've looked for paper and pens. I still can't find the paper or pens. Um, Kelly Ray, and we were praying for Kelly. Kelly is actually in the hospital and um, has had a, some type of reaction to, to COVID or medication or something going on in her body. And so we've been praying for Kelly um, and been asking the Lord to heal her body. And so um, I don't have anybody to tell me where the paper and pens are. And so I've just been looking in, in cabinets and been looking in closets. And we've got a lot of stuff, but we don't have any paper and pens. And so I'm fixing that this 
this upcoming week. But in digging through stuff and just trying to find some paper, I ran across a book that was actually published in the 70s. And it piqued my interest because I love history. Um, I love reading about history. This book, Now and Then, is actually about Whitechapel Church. Knowing that I was going to be sharing with you today about the calling that God has given to us as a congregation, I picked up this, I mean, it's, it's like 45 short pages and a lot, of, a lot of photos in here. I picked up this book and I just wanted to begin to understand what someone had written uh, about 50 years ago about Whitechapel Church. And so I just began reading about this. And then the more I read, the more I was captured and the more I was consumed about the calling that God has placed on Whitechapel Church. You see, one of the things that I think that we need to understand is why in God's infinite wisdom does he want there to be a church right here in South Daytona? He's given us, he's given us works in advance to do. We see that in the scripture. We see that he has sustained the ministry faithfully through the decades. We see how God has walked in men and women that have stood to lead this congregation. But we have to understand, God, why is it that you want Whitechapel to exist? God, why is it that you want me to be a part of Whitechapel? And I think it's in that discovery process that we then begin to fulfill the words of 1 Peter 4.10. So as I began to read this book, I discovered that this church actually opened on April, April 3rd of 1932. Now, it wasn't an actual building, and for the first number of years, there was no building here. In fact, they weren't even on this property. They met in what they describe in this book is a flea-ridden shack just a few blocks from here. In 1940, with the help of Florida Church of God Ministries, the first full-time pastor came to pastor this congregation some eight, seven and a half years to eight years after some people in this community actually launched a congregation. Two names, two names, and if you've been at Whitechapel Church, you've probably heard these names. It's Miss Pinkerton and Miss Bevel. This is the recorded conversation in this book. After they had been talking for some while, this is what Miss Bevel said. Oh, Miss Pinkerton, I'm so fine today, except that I feel deeply concerned over something that I'd like to talk to you about, if I may. Miss Pinkerton said, Sure, Miss Bevel, go right ahead. And I want you to listen to these words of Miss Bevel. Of course, you know of the trouble the dairy truck drivers are having recently with boys taking milk tickets from their trucks. Now, I know that most of you, in fact, probably 95% of you, have no clue what I'm reading about when I say milk truck drivers. But in 1932, that was the concern of these two ladies who started this church. She said, this morning, as I looked from my window toward the garage, I saw a policeman talking to two young boys who had been apprehended. I don't know who they were or where they live, but it made me think that we should do something for the children of this community. I've been thinking for some time that they should have more of a religious influence on their lives. 
Do you think that we could have a Sunday school? I don't know one family around here that takes their children into the city for Sunday school. Did you catch those words there? It's, it's easy to just read through a book right here and say, oh yeah, that's, that's a neat conversation that was actually recording. But in those words, before this congregation actually started, God had given us an assignment. Did you catch what she said? She said, we should do something for the children of this community. Now, it wasn't for the sake of just the children. It was for the sake of these children to discover Jesus themselves. It wasn't for the sake of the milk and the milk tags that were being stolen by these rowdy boys. It was so they could share his love to lead others to discover Jesus. In April of 1932, the cry from Mrs. Pinkerton and Mrs. Bevel was for this community. So my brain doesn't just stop with that. I like numbers. I like statistics. And so then it spurred inside of me a yearning for this community. Because when this church was launched, there was a cry for this community to know Jesus. There was a cry for this community to discover Jesus. And so I went a little further, and so I looked, and within a five-mile radius of where we're sitting right now, if you were where we were at, and we drew a circle that had a five-mile boundary all the way around us, there... There are 120, just over 123,000 people. 64% of those people do not know Jesus. 64% don't know Jesus. Listen, that's a two-to-one margin of people that don't know Jesus. There are twice as many people within a five-mile radius of right here that do not know Jesus compared to the number of people that do know Jesus. That equates to 74,000 people with only a five-mile radius of where we're sitting right now that don't know Jesus. So I ask you, Whitechapel Church, are you content discovering Jesus? Are you content gathering here on Sunday morning and saying, God, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up? Or are you going to be a church that is so discontent that there are 74,000 people within a five-mile radius of this place that do not know your Lord and Savior, that you are going to stand up and say, God, I want to discover my God-given gift. I want to discover the purpose for which you created me so that I can get out of the discovery phase for a moment and dive deep within the sharing his love phase of my relationship with you. Are you, yeah, go ahead. Are you going to get to a place in your life where you are sick and tired of other people sharing His love, that you are going to stand in the gift that God has given to you so that you can join them in sharing His love? 
Listen to me, Whitechapel Church. I declare over us today, we are not only going to discover Jesus, but we are going to be a body of believers that begin to share His love starting today. A couple of months ago, God gave me a vision for this place. I'm not talking about I'm sitting there and all of a sudden... You know, in lights, Jesus comes and stands before me, and it's, it's that type of a vision. I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of a vision. I'm talking about God said to me, there is something that we have to do as a congregation of believers this year. And when he told me, I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, I'm not sure that that's what you, you want us to do as a congregation. I wrestled with it. I prayed through it. And he kept bringing me back to this. This year, I believe that God is tasking us with the assignment to share His love, to share Jesus with a minimum of a thousand people. A minimum of a thousand people. I was like, God, come on, that's a thousand people. That's a lot of people, right? Like, we can't do that. And so then He said, and then, my, you know, my excuse was what a lot of us have been using. It's coronavirus. Don't you know that, God? We can't go out and be sharing, his, sharing your love with all of these people. We're going to get the virus. And we can't, we can't be doing all of this. He's like, no. That's what my assignment is in 2021 for Whitechapel Church. To share Jesus with a minimum of 1,000 people. And here's how we're going to track that. Starting next week, when you come into this place and out in the lobby... There are going to be little hearts that look exactly like this. The reason we chose a heart is because we talk about Jesus living in our heart. We talk about accepting Christ into our heart. I chose the heart because I want every one of these hearts to represent the souls within a five-mile radius that, of this place that do not know Jesus Christ. And when you have this in, 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 in your week before you come to church on Sunday, when you have taken on the task that God has for you, in sharing Jesus' love, when you come in here on Sunday morning, I want you to pick up one of these hearts, and I want you to write that person's name on this heart. You have fulfilled a portion of what God wants you to do, to share His love with that individual. And in writing the name on this heart, you can leave it on your chairs, you can drop it in one of the blue boxes, we are going to take these hearts, and we are going to pray by name for every one of these people that we shared His love with. And we are going to pray that the seeds that you planted would be nurtured, they would be cared for, they would, become, uh, they would come to fruition so that it leads that person eventually to the place to where they walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. So as I'm arguing with the Lord, and I'm saying, God, a thousand people is a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that aren't even coming to church on Sunday morning. And you want us to go and do this? And this is what he said. If there were only a hundred people at Whitechapel Church, that's it. If there were only a hundred people at Whitechapel Church, would it be enough that every one of those people share about Jesus and what he's done in your life with 10 people in 365 days? Just 10 people. You've got a year to do it. Can you share Jesus with 10 people? Do you care enough about where God has led us from in caring for this community? The task that God has given us as a church? 
to simply share Jesus with 10 people this year? You say, I don't know 10 people that don't know Jesus. Don't buy into that lie from the enemy. Because if you go today and you walk into a restaurant and there are three servers that walk by your table, statistics show us, statistics, this is what people have professed with their own mouth. Statistics show, and I would venture to say it's a lot higher. Statistics show us that out of the three servers that walk by your table, two of them don't have relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God planted you exactly where you're at, in your family. God planted you in your community, in your neighborhood. God planted you with the people that you work with. God planted you with all of the people around you so that you can discover Jesus and move to the next step of sharing his love. You say, well, I don't even know how to share Jesus. I don't even know how to share what Jesus has done in my life. I'll tell you, if Jesus has done anything in your life, if he saved you, if he redeemed you, if he has done anything in your life, then you've got a story to tell. You might not be able to say, while I was standing at the edge of the Red Sea, I prayed and I struck and the Lord parted the Red Sea. You don't have to say that because that's not your testimony. All you have to do is go share Jesus' love and what he's done in your life. You don't have to go find somebody else's testimony. You don't have to go find what Jesus did in somebody else's life and try to bring it into your life. All you have to do is go tell what Jesus has done in your life. That is sharing his love. Have any of you ever heard of a, a man by the name of Edward Kimball? Any, anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher many, 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 many decades ago. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who was upset with the rowdy boys that were in his Sunday school class. And he prayed, and he's like, God, I don't know what to do with these rowdy boys. I don't know how to handle these boys, and I feel like I'm getting absolutely nothing done on Sunday morning. So Edward Kimball decided that he was going to be very intentional with every single one of these boys. What he's doing is sharing Jesus' love intentionally with these rowdy boys in his Sunday school class. Says that there were countless times that he thought about throwing in the towel because his teaching in his Sunday school class he felt like was hurting cats. And we all know that cats are demonic, right? They're all cats. They all, they all are. That's just a side note that's free. But Edward Kimball found one man in particular in his Sunday school class that just didn't seem to understand what the gospel was all about. So this is what is recorded about Edward Kimball. Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stockroom with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, sharing his love. That young, rowdy man in that Sunday school class of Edward Kimball's was D.L. Moody. In the stockroom on that Saturday, because Edward Kimball went to share Jesus' love with this man, D.L. Moody gave his life to Jesus Christ. In D.L. Moody's lifetime, 
he touched multiple continents for God. Because Edward Kimball stopped enough to go share Jesus' love with D.L. Moody. Under D.L. Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. That man's name was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands of people around the world. One day, because of Wilbur Chapman, who's linked to D.L. Moody, who's linked to Kimball, Edward Chapman, who was a professional baseball player, had a day off. There was a young man who one day attended one of Chapman's revival meetings, and he was a professional baseball player. That man's name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday quit playing baseball and came a part of Chapman's revival team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. There was another young man converted under Billy Sunday. His name was Mordecai Ham. He was a very scholarly, dignified man. He wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through all the streets with a loudspeaker advertising his meetings. Mordecai Ham went to a city called Charlotte, North Carolina. There was a sandy-haired, lanky young man who was in high school that vowed he would never go hear anybody preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, eventually did go. Because students decided to interrupt the meetings and be disrespectful of Mordecai Ham's meetings, Billy Frank decided to go here and preach because he wanted to hear the disruption. That night, Billy Frank went to hear the disruption of his friends of Mordecai Ham's revival meetings, and Billy Frank, at the end, went and gave his life to Jesus Christ, and Billy Graham, which was his real name, launched his ministry. Billy Graham led a man by the name of Eddie Wrinkle to the Lord who watched one of his sermons. Eddie Wrinkle went on not to have this amazing ministry like Billy Graham or like Mordecai Ham or Billy Sunday or any of these others. Billy Graham was just a, uh, just a pastor who loved telling people about Jesus. And one day, in 1984, after Eddie Wrinkle preached a message. I went forward and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it's all back to one man by the name of Kimball who didn't know what to do with these rowdy boys in Sunday school. Decades and decades and decades ago. But Kimball was committed to sharing Jesus' love. Will you share that same commitment? Will you say, I don't know what's going on with all the people around me, and there are a lot of people that are around me that I don't even know what to do with, God. You might be like Kimball, and you might be the one saying, I don't know what to do with these rowdy boys. I don't know what to do with this rowdy family. Or I don't know what to do with this rowdy crew that, that, that I'm planted around, God. Eddie Kimball, didn't, or Eddie Kimball didn't know what to do. But you know what? He knew they needed Jesus. 
And he knew that he was going to step out and accept the gift that God had given to him so that he could then share his love with these rowdy boys. 74,000 people. 74,000 souls around us right now don't know Jesus. Will you accept your gift and your calling to share his love? Will you be the one to stand up and say, God, you have given inside of me the spiritual DNA to proclaim your goodness and to proclaim what you've done in my life to others that I encounter every single day. We're not going to leave you alienated, but we're going to join you in this journey. And this year, this year, I believe, is the year that we see uh, South Daytona, Daytona, Port Orange, all of the community around us. I believe, and it's not going to be just this church. I think it's going to be other churches as well. I think God is stirring this in so many people. But this is the year that we're going to be faithful, Whitechapel Church. This is the year that we're going to stand up and we're going to say, I'm willing, I'm willing. So as we close our service this morning, I want you to spend a few moments with the Lord and ask Him specifically, who do you want me to share your love with? Who is it, God, that you want me to speak to about what you're doing in my life? Who is it, God, that you have for me works in advance created to do? And I ask that you ask the Lord to start bringing faces to, to your mind, to start bringing names to your mind so that we can be obedient in the calling that he has given to Whitechapel Church, the assignment that he has given to Whitechapel Church that goes all the way back to 1931. You're not here by accident. God put you here. And he put you here so that you can discover Jesus and then move to the next step, the next phase of sharing his love. Will you go with us on this journey? Would you stand with me? Father, we just come to you right now. There are a lot of things in our life that we just take for granted. We don't want our relationship with you or the calling that you've given to each one of us to be one of those things. And I just ask right now as we close our service that each of us would experience more of you so that we can then accept the calling you've placed on our life to be sent out to serve and to be sent out to share your love. God, in this moment, I just pray that you would bring names to our mind, bring faces to our mind, Lord, of who you intend for us to share with about what you're doing in our life. God, in this moment, just speak to us. In this moment, Lord, it's my prayer that you would commission us to be your ambassadors, to accept that calling that you gave this church in 1931 and live it out fully some 80 years 
90 years later. God, in this moment, speak to us. We yield ourselves and lift you up and praise you and worship you. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service this morning, spend some time in prayer to the Spirit, asking, God, what gift have you given me? Ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to reveal the calling that he's placed on your life so that he can begin to use it to share his love. Remember, it's not about us. It's about the work that he's doing, and we join him in that. So as we close our service this morning, ask the Lord specifically, and then we'll come and we'll have a a prayer of commitment here at the end. If you want to come and kneel at one of these altars, do that. But as we sing, let the Lord speak to you and respond to what he might be saying. Powerful name. And as you walk out those doors, there are 74,000 people today that are waiting for you to tell them about that name. Would you accept your gift? Would you accept the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do? And would you step into this next phase with us of sharing his love with those 74,000 people. Don't enter into this lightly because the impact of eternity can be decided right now in this room. Now, the work of God is absolutely going to go forth and God is going to accomplish with or without us that which he desires to do. But today, I'm hoping for a people that are willing to say, I'm not going to let the work of God move forward without me. And I'm going to be one who stands and takes the responsibility of sharing his love with those 74,000 people. As you go this week, pray that God would give you those moments necessary to share his love. You don't have to get the biggest Bible that you can imagine and begin to beat people over the head with it. We're sharing his love. That's simply what he's done in your life. So go tell, go tell, go tell what Jesus has done for you in sharing his love. Lord, bless us as we go from here today. Speak to us, put names in our brain that we can't get out. Put faces in our name that we can't get out. Put a burden on our heart for these 74,000 people that do not know you, that are right outside these doors. God, we pray and accept the commission that you gave the Pinkertons and the Bevels 90 years ago this year for a burden for this community. And we're going back to that, to pick up that mantle, to carry it into this community that says, I am not willing to let those in this community suffer under the hands of the enemy but we're going after those souls. So today, commission us. Today, empower us. Today, give us your word. Today, help us discover the gifts that you've given to us and the works that you've prepared for us in advance. We accept this and walk forward in it. In the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord be with you as you go this morning.